0: Hiya, it's Joe from the news team at Jack with a roundup for you of some of the stories that have come out of Oxfordshire in the last few days of the coronavirus lockdown. There's been tons going on nationally. The Prime Minister promised to increase testing. A pub got in a spot of bother because it held a lock-in over the weekend. And we all learnt what on earth for Lowe meant. Locally, the news hasn't stopped either. We've had the military and firefighters being trained to drive ambulances for South Central. Scout leaders started a delivery service for medication in Whitney and a gin company in Oxford has turned its hand to making some sanitizer. All that coming up for you, but first to an Abingdon company which helped to develop a breathing aid for the NHS in less than a week. It's Oxford Optronics who are working with the Formula One giant's Mercedes to build it. And our reporter caught up with the CEO, Dr Andy O'Bade, earlier this week.
1: Just over a week ago, a week on Saturday, whilst walking the dog, I got a call from a colleague of mine who's a, uh, a consultant in the intensive care unit at University College London Hospital. Asking whether we could help support their effort to produce um, CPAP, which is Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Respiratory Devices. So these are respiratory devices that can be used on patients that don't require ventilation. They're not ill enough to require ventilation, but do need oxygen support. So they fulfill a very useful gap in the intensive care delivery during this COVID-19 crisis. So I said, yeah, we could help, Um, what could we do? And he said, well, can you design something in five or six days? And uh, so we rose to the challenge. We came up with a design, we prototyped it, we supplied a few units for them to test, and I'm pleased to announce that today, we actually received an order for 10,000 units
2: that orders come Uh, from?
1: UCL, who are the prime contractor in this project and indirectly via the NHS.
2: Well, I understand it's about 100 hours turnaround time. Obviously, this is an extremely unusual situation we're going through. How unusual is that turnaround time?
1: It's unbelievable. I mean, normally it would take us two years to develop a product like this, at least. I mean, I don't know whether we're slow, but I mean, two years is the normal. What we've done in five days, what we normally do in, in two two years, so it's quite astounding. And I have to thank all the people that work for Oxford Optronics, all the little companies around Oxfordshire, and indeed in the UK that have really supported this effort because we couldn't have done it without them.
2: What does it mean to you to, uh, personally to play your part in this uh, this awful situation? Well, I'm, I'm
1: really, really, we're very proud. I'm very proud of my staff because they've really pulled the stops out and uh, made this happen. I couldn't have done it without them. But yeah, I'm obviously immensely proud as well of the work we've done.
2: What's What's the atmosphere been like just within that sort of 100 hours? Has it been one of determination?
1: Determination, adrenaline fueled excitement, I guess, as well. I mean, it's, yeah. And we've just had to make things happen. And I suppose the biggest difficulty for us now is securing the supply chain. Uh, and there's a huge demand for sensors and for bits and pieces that we use in the production of these units. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's that's our next big task is actually making sure we've got all the stock so that we can deliver.
2: A little mm-hmm. On the actual... The actual design, the concept, I mean, is it a stripped back version of a sort of ventilator? What is it? So
1: it's, a, it's not a ventilator. So the, the, the part the Mercedes are building is a, if you like, it's a, an oxygen delivery system under uh, sort of above normal pressure, which supports the patient. So it's a purely mechanical device that mixes 100% oxygen that comes out of the wall in a ward with room air. And you calibrate that that flow and that oxygen concentration and deliver, deliver that to the patient. And what we're doing is producing the gas analyzer that actually measures that oxygen concentration and allows the clinician to set alarm limits. So if the wall supply fails or goes down below a certain value, then it would trigger an alarm. So it's like a safety feature on top of the work that Mercedes are doing.
2: This is going to save lives, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's an honour actually to be to be asked to do this work. I mean I've been in this game now for about thirty years, but this is probably the height of my career. So yeah, it is an honour.
0: Over to Whitney now, where local pharmacies are backing a new prescription delivery service during the pandemic. West Oxfordshire District scout leaders are picking up meds and then dropping them off to anyone who's vulnerable. Dr. Stephen Bright from the Windrush Medical Practice is the man behind the idea. Here he is. Chatting to Emma from news.
3: When this was beginning to kick off with COVID, um, I realised that patients were going to struggle to get their medications, that uh, if people were going into chemists to get their medications, there'd be big queues of people, which isn't good for passing them things. And also the chemists were absolutely snowed under with all the, the work and a bit of panic buying as well as some of those going off. And it just didn't make sense. And well, how can this be improved? And I thought, ah, if there was a, a good delivery service where maybe a group of um, uh, able, sensible, appropriate people from different communities would go in and get uh, the medications and then deliver them back to the community. So that was sort of the idea. And I had a chat with a couple of the local chemists. Um, most of them were highly receptive. Um, I think one said she would she would hug me, but due to COVID she wouldn't.
4: So you mentioned about the patients um at the start of our interview. Had any of them mm. or like voiced some concerns about what would happen then with regards to getting hold of their meds?
3: Yeah, so quite a lot of them was were saying that they were they were meant to be sort of confined to barracks. Um but then how would they get the medications? Um and then they would maybe get relatives if they had people local or would ask around. And you could just see this as a disaster uh, in progress because then those people that are struggling to get their medicines are then having to make contacts with all sorts of people, which is then clogging up the the process. What we want is a system that runs by, virtually by itself where people know they'll get the medications.
4: It's a quite a new service, but how do you think it's going so far?
3: With, with the dialogue I've had with some patients and with uh, Joff, um, it seems to be doing very well. It's gone from nothing to uh, quite a major enterprise already. There's uh, the Scouts, there's other volunteers, there's the uh, Whitney Land Army, the patient participation groups.
0: This is one of the Scout volunteer leads. This is Joff Gree.
3: So the purpose really, it's gone from just
5: being the uh, vulnerable and the elderly and, and people in shielding now, um, Dr. Bright's idea was to, to extend that so that we didn't have the large queues of people outside our local pharmacies and that we were protecting our um, pharmacy uh, staff um, because obviously the more people coming to the door, there's an increased chance of infection. And also it takes time up for those staff who could be sorting prescriptions. Um, so it's now anyone that wants a prescription uh, collected or uh, and delivered to them. if They let their pharmacies know uh, or collect the or contact the Whitney Land Army um we've designed a, a system where we can record all, all of that we get them collected and, and delivered
4: why is it important during this particular time
5: it is important because the amount of people uh leaving the house unnecessarily we can reduce that um, that exposure by having controlled amount of, of volunteers who go in um, place one person through the door instead of possibly 50 or 100, uh, 10 or 20 um, in an hour for example, Um, so we have one person going through the door, that's one person interacting with their staff, Um, we collect all of those prescriptions up in one go.
4: And how many Scouts are actually involved with this? What's the team?
5: Well it's not actually Scouts, our young people aren't involved with this. We've got some uh, leaders who have uh, young people in scouting that are with them, but um, primarily this is only uh, scout leaders that are doing this, who are over 18 adults, um, because we are EBS-checked, uh, GDPR-trained, as I said before, and um, and have safeguarding training. So it's, it's leaders. And at the moment, we've got a network of around... Uh, 40, and that's growing every single day. Um, Our scout leaders are always normally busy people, quite happily to get involved, and they've been ideal in in coming forward and helping us with this service.
0: Now, we also learnt this week that military personnel were starting to help Oxfordshire's ambulance service. South Central's having to step things up in response to the pandemic and a growing demand. So our reporter Emma caught up with Nicola Dunbar, who's Head of Community Engagements and Training.
6: So, as you can imagine, we're in uh, a planning stage at the moment uh, in order to build up our ambulances and staff so that we can get them out on the road over the next few weeks because uh, we are expecting our peak within South Central to uh, occur within about two and a half weeks' time.
4: How much uh, planning are you doing then around that? So we
6: had uh, placed a matter request so a military aid for civil authorities' application, and we now have a working relationship with our military co responders. So these are military personnel who already respond for South Central Ambulance Service, and they usually do this in cars. So the training that they have already received from us and the fact that they were able to ad- to drive our emergency rapid response vehicles enables us with a three-day training uh, that we've delivered with them on our ambulances. will mean that we can put one of those military responders onto uh, our ambulances to work alongside a clinician so that we're able to increase, increase our workforce uh, when this peak hits us in a few weeks' time.
4: And so have they been mobilised now, did you say?
6: So they're currently undergoing training. So there are um, a training cohort of uh, military responders who have been trained this week and they will do a third manning. So they will go out alongside a mission at the weekend and then with a set from next Monday, they will be working on the ambulances.
4: How vital are they during this time?
6: They're absolutely vital for us at this time because as you can imagine um, to um, get enough ambulances and staff at such a critical challenging time for us, they have uh, obviously come in and, and are assisting us in terms of helping us to meet that need.
4: How's the pandemic impacting on the service and its ability to operate as normal?
6: So we are operating as, um, as, uh, as as normal, but what we would like to do is obviously to thank the public for, for not calling 999 unless it's a, a life-threatening or indeed a ser- serious emergency as we will want them to keep doing that even more so in the coming weeks, which obviously will, will help um, uh, greatly. We, we also uh, would like to ask the public to continue to follow all government advice around social distancing and non-essential travel, to not just keep them and their families safe, but to help protect our staff and NHS colleagues across our south central region, region as it will really help us save more lives in the long run whilst this pandemic is occurring.
4: And what are the firefighters doing?
6: So the firefighters, again, we do the training for uh, the fire service in Oxfordshire. So they um, are all immediate emergency care trained. And we will be looking to arrange a similar uh, training plan with their firefighters to also work alongside our clinicians on the ambulances.
4: Do you think that that kind of partnership might continue even following the outbreak?
6: I think that what it does do is it gives us the resilience that should anything um, occur again in the future that we have far better collaboration between the two services that, that either they could call on us or equally we could call on them.
0: On the topic of mental health now because researchers at oxford uni have launched a new study they are trying to track young people's mental health during the outbreak and polly Waite, who's a clinical psychologist at oxford told us what they're up to
7: the idea of it is to ask lots of questions about family life relationships Lots of different factors, things like how young people are spending their time, how they're managing with the loss of routine, how they're managing schoolwork while they're at home and how they're keeping in touch with friends. And then that way we can have a really good understanding about what protects young people from their mental health deteriorating over this time while we're all socially isolating.
0: Okay, and there has been lots of talk, obviously, recently about people feeling much more anxious at the moment. I'm assuming that you're launching this study because you are assuming that there is or will be a big impact on young people's mental health.
7: Yeah, that's right. There was a really good survey out this week from Young Minds actually that found that of young people with um, pre-existing mental health conditions, 80, over 80% of them said their conditions had worsened since social isolation. So we know a little bit about young people of, of certain ages, but we're keen to know across the whole age range, um, including much younger children as well, and being able to track it across time rather than just at one time point to see what happens. We will be providing regular summaries of the key findings as we go all the way through through our Emerging Minds website and then we can really better understand as we go through what do we need to do in order to help and support families. Um, but also at the end of it, there are likely to be particular challenges when people come out of social isolation. So it might be, for example, some young people who might experience a lot of anxiety around schools actually may be having less anxiety at the moment rather than more, but of course at the point where they're about to go back into schools so going to be particular challenges
0: okay that's interesting because I think we're thinking a lot about mental health and how children are sort of feeling and coping at the moment but not necessarily what it will be like when suddenly it's kind of back to normality because I suppose after a month or a few months of lockdown it won't necessarily feel like that's the normal anymore Yeah, that's right. It's going to be such
7: a challenge and we really don't know very much about this. I mean, we have, you know, good research about how parents and carers can support their children's mental health in general. But we know so little about in these kind of circumstances, what is the best thing to do for some young people? The current situation might be really challenging where they're worrying a lot about themselves getting in. Getting ill, or other people that they care about, um, we know from speaking to colleagues that, that you know children with obsessive-compulsive difficulties, you know, maybe really struggling, or new cases emerging. But there are likely to be other things that you know maybe not so bad at the moment, but will down the line get worse. So, for example, a lot of the teenagers that we see with anxiety have social anxiety, so they really struggle in school environments, doing things like putting their hand up in class, speaking to teachers, speaking to people they don't know, doing presentations. So In some ways for them, actually, the current circumstances might not be so bad, although, of course, there are still social contact through social media and other means that mean that, you know, they may well may well still have some anxiety.
0: And Polly, you want to try and get, I believe, 10,000 parents and carers to complete this survey. So how is a a big number? How would you encourage people that are maybe listening to this to get involved and, and do their bit?
7: Yeah, we would love people to help us with this. And we're really keen to hear from a huge range of people. So, you know, foster carers, um, you know, young people that were already being homeschooled to get as much variety as possible. Um, it does take 15 to 20 minutes the first time. So, you know, we would encourage people if you've just got a small window within your um, day at the moment, if you could just sit down and, and complete it for us, that would just be hugely beneficial. and I think it would really give us such a huge insight into how we can help families that may really be struggling at the moment and know what what best we can do. So I'd really urge people to take part if they can just spare a little bit of time.
0: So co-spaceoxford.com forward slash survey is where you can take part. And if you want to actually then keep on top of the data and what they're finding out, you need to go to emergingminds.org.uk. And now you may remember hearing about a local doctor who was kicked out of his rented room by a landlady because she was worried about the coronavirus. Well now, Joseph Alsusu, who's an orthopaedic surgeon working for OUH, has found somewhere to live and he's also set up a website to help other doctors find accommodation. He spoke to Alex from News.
8: The Great British public has been absolutely amazing. The response has been overwhelming um, with support, people offering their rooms and their cottages, um houses uh for, for, for me to stay and also if any other colleague needed um, somewhat stay or help during this period. Uh the public um has been very supportive but also the Oxford University Hospital Trust and um other organizations such as the World College of Surgeons and uh some state agents. So overall it's been uh Overwhelming,
2: and I understand that you've set up a website to help people who get caught in their similar situation to the one you were in. Tell us about it. How does it work, and uh, what does it do?
8: So, after the um, massive support from the public, my um, uh, inbox, uh, Twitter account, LinkedIn, and um, phone has been overwhelmed with offers of support—not just to myself, but to NHS staff. Um, And I thought that in that case, why don't we link people who are in similar situation like myself to people are offering support all around the country, so I set up a web page, um, uh, roomsfornhs.com. The idea is uh, landlords or uh, agents or uh, members of the public who have places uh, to offer to NHS staff can register and we will connect them with staff who might be interested or looking for somewhere to stay uh, through the web. Uh, once that's done, the two can communicate and hopefully NHS staff can find somewhere to stay in the local area for free or at least at a very discounted rate. Uh, hopefully that will help people that um, are in similar situations to myself or have been redeployed due to the COVID virus.
2: Has the website been busy?
8: Oh, it's it's, it's been very busy. Um, it's only started last night and uh, came out this morning so it's, um, I've had hundreds of emails and uh, people registering to offer support to NHS
2: staff. And what has that meant to you? Obviously someone who, who has been through that and knows what it's like to not be able to focus on your job at this important time to know that there are so many people out there willing to help people who are in a similar situation.
8: Deeply touched by the um, um, the overwhelming support the public has, uh, has offered to the NHS and NHS staff. Um, it's been an amazing uh, unprecedented support Um, people offering their own homes for uh, NHS staff to stay Uh, so I'm deeply touched by this and I'm sure um, every NHS staff who's uh, in a similar situation uh, will greatly appreciate public help
0: Moving on now to a small distillery which makes gin, vodka and whiskey and is now producing hand sanitizer for hospitals and care homes in Oxfordshire. It's the Oxford Artist Stand Distillery, or TOAD as it's known, and of course it did have to shut because of the lockdown, so it's doing its bit to fight the virus instead. Corey Mason is one of the founders, and our reporter Emma spoke to him this week about how they're doing it.
9: Yeah, we've been producing Spirit for the last probably two years now. Um, it's more of a five or six year project, but uh, we're unique. We grow organic grain around Oxford. And we uh, make everything from scratch on site. So we make whiskey and vodka and gin using ancient grains, um, all processed from field straight through to the bottle. That's what we do.
4: And what's made you take this move from producing alcohol to hand sanitizer?
9: No, I'm not saying both aren't a public service, but um, it it is what the sanitizer is based on. I mean, the hand sanitizer is a high-proof alcohol and because we're in one of the unique positions in the UK that we make our own alcohol, we don't buy it in, we have the ability to, um, to continue making it right now. And there's a real need in the country for hand sanitizers. It's, it's one of the things that ran out very quickly. So we saw a need in Oxford in the community we work with, that we live with, that um, we interact with every day. It's, you know, it's, it's our community. And we saw this opportunity to do everything we can to help right now. So this is our way of helping.
4: So how do you actually make it?
9: So we make the alcohol from scratch. We um, we ferment grain on site, and we distill it in our handmade stills. So it comes out at 96% alcohol, and then everything we're making for the hand sanitizers right now is to the World Health Organization um, formula. So it's to be used; it can be used all over the world um, as a World Health Organization formula. And that's high-proof alcohol with some hydrogen peroxide and a little bit of glycerin, um, and that will kill pretty much anything on your hands.
4: And who is the hand sanitizer for?
9: So right now, because we're limited in our production, we're not a huge factory, Um, what we're making is going out to the people that need it the most. So it's hospitals, first on our list, it's health workers, it's NHS staff, it's um, people in the communities that are working with outreach. We're also working a lot with care homes, so people that are most at risk right now. Uh, It's one of the supplies that when it runs out and you have these populations that really are, are vulnerable it's kind of the first line of defense so we want to make sure it goes out to the people a that are helping the people and b that are most at risk
4: how much are you charging for it
9: so everything we're doing we're not making a profit on um, we're not trying to to raise you know to, to make any profit off any of the hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer we are asking for donations if people can afford it now we've done a, we've started a gofundme page so if someone receives uh, hand sanitizer, and they're able to make a donation, that goes towards allowing us to give it to people that can't afford it and that need it the most. So we do suggest people, if they're doing large orders, help us cover the cost of it, but we're not turning anyone away um, in these fields that doesn't have the resource or doesn't have the ability to give us money right away.
4: And how can people get hold of it?
9: So people can get hold of it. Right now, we are asking the public, and we're asking people um, not to come to the distillery, not to ask for a bottle because they might want it. We're really trying to get it to the people that need it the most, and we're trying to get to the organizations that can do the most good with it. So it's, like I said, ending up at hospitals, health workers, NHF and care home, NHS and care homes. And to do that, you can email us through our website. So info at theoxfordartisandistillery.com, and that will come through, and we'll get back to you on it.
0: There's a GoFundMe page in case you want to donate to this one. Just Google, help the Oxford Artisan Distillery make sanitizer." Simple as that. Finally, if you're stuck for something to do tonight, join the club. Bit boring, this lockdown business, isn't it? But if you fancy, you can have a go at the first ever big Oxfordshire quiz. Experience Oxfordshire's behind it, and Hayley is their CEO.
10: A quiz on Oxfordshire is a great way to get people um, online and talking to each other. Um, and also obviously, learning a lot about their destination. So um, our very clever marketing team came up with this idea. Um, it's going to run for um, consecutively for five Fridays with um, a range of themes each week, which are everything from music, heritage, food and drink, literature, film and TV. Um, It's free to enter. You go online, you enter a code, and the whole quiz will take about an hour. Um, It'll lead you through the questions. There's a break in the middle for people to uh, top up whatever beverage they might be having at the time. Um, And a great way to test your knowledge on Oxfordshire. There's also some fantastic prizes. Blenheim Palace have donated a prize, Concierge Heritage Tours, and have the New Theatre have got a pair of tickets in there as well. So there's some great prizes to be won.
0: This sounds brilliant because I don't know about you, but at the moment I feel like everyone is quizzing because it gives us something to do, doesn't it, on a Friday or a Saturday night, Friday night for this one obviously, when we're just <laughs> twiddling our thumbs wishing we could be in the pub doing something similar. That's it. And I think we've heard, um, you know, in, in these situations, we've heard some great
10: stories about how... Friends and families are doing their own thing online, but not necessarily in a coordinated way, and wanted to be some, part of something bigger. Um, we deliberately chose um, sort of the Friday 7 o'clock slot because um, there are a lot of people, you know, still working and working from home. Um, and it gives them an excuse to sort of end that working week. Um, also, obviously, a lot of people have been homeschooling as well, so it's sort of the end of that. And coming together and having a bit of a relax um, at the end of the working week, but more importantly, at the start of the weekend.
0: And also, obviously, as you say, it's got another side of it because it's coming at a time when obviously everything is shut down. Oxfordshire, lots of businesses are struggling with the lockdown. This is going to be promoting Oxfordshire and what it's got and what's on offer. And I'm guessing you're hoping that obviously when things get back to a bit of normality, people will be ready to come and visit us.
10: Absolutely. What we're hoping it will do is um, be very much an inspiration piece as well. So um, you'll go through the quiz questions um, each week and there's going to be a lot that hopefully you'll learn that you didn't know before and that's going to give you the inspiration to think, crikey, you know, when things do come back to to, to normal and, you know, um, consumer behaviour comes back online and, and movement is a bit freer, we've got to go out and see these wonderful places where all these things are happening or where that history comes from. Um, and these great things locally that we didn't know about before because the the other thing that we've got at the minute in this really extraordinary time is people are spending more time online than ever before.
0: And we talked a little bit before the interview about sort of life at the moment, what it's like with a lot of us working from home, how things are changing in that respect but I wondered what do you think Oxfordshire will look like in a month or a few months time once things get back to normal and we're allowed out again, how different do you think it will look?
10: Gosh, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I'd like to think what this has given everyone is almost a time of reflection and appreciation. Certainly some of the stuff that I've seen on social media that's gone out there, there is this pride in place that we've been trying to push for a very, very long time. And I think people are going to really appreciate what they have locally on their doorstep and what they have access to going forward. Um, I think it will take a while for the businesses to, to pick back up um, because we've had to go from a closed position to everything being open and we've got to make sure that people feel safe um, to move around again and everything's done in the proper way. But I think there is going to be a much greater appetite for exploration after this.
0: Just back to the quiz, finally. So you've got a website and you've got a hashtag. Where are people going? Uh, it starts this Friday, doesn't it?
10: Yeah, this Friday. Um, and this week's quiz is Literature. So you've got a chance to uh, look up and uh, do a bit of research. Um, But the website, which has got all of the information, all of the codes that you need, and all of the prizes, is experienceoxfordshire.org forward slash bigoxquiz. And we're using the hashtag Big Ox Quiz on everything. So you should be able to find all of that online. So we hope as many people as possible will get online, get engaged.
0: And hopefully no cheating as well, because we're not in the pub, so we can't (laughs) see if you've got your phone out. But hopefully people play it fair.
10: That is true. There's an element of trust there, absolutely, in terms of the quiz. And hopefully people enter in in the spirit that it's intended.
0: (laughs) The quiz starts at 7 on Fridays. Just search for Big Ox Quiz on socials to get involved. That's it from me this time. Stay safe, folks, and well done for surviving week two of lockdown.